0: Hi, everyone. It's Joakim Makren, your host of the Elite Game Developers podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. Today, I'm talking with Callum Briding, the co-founder and CEO of Netspeak Games, an MMO games company based out of London, UK. Callum is a phenomenal first-time founder who's been taking measures of learning how a games company should be built what the culture should be like, and how you can bring on investors to help grow the company. Hey, Callie, welcome to the show. Hi, Joe.
1: <laughs> how things there? You just it's, said that the, it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, gray and miserable, as always in London, but um, I'm starting to get used to it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Are you going to GDC and going to get some corona for you there?
1: <laughs> Not the beer kind of corona, <laughs> corona and lime, right? I still have decided. I'm booked to go. I've got meetings. I'm I, I'm kind of waiting to see what happens. More and more people keep pulling out, and so yeah, this I'm, morning it was EA. Yeah, EA. So Sony have gone. Yeah, PlayStation are out. Kowloon Nights have gone as well. So I'm just Facebook. So now I'm, I'm just waiting to see, man. I'm like, if I think there's probably three meetings that I'm desperate to go to. If one of them pulls out, then I don't think I'm going to risk it.
0: Yeah, I wasn't actually going at all at any point. And now it feels like, you know, it's just looking at the sidelines of people. Like,
1: yeah. Let's just, see what observing, I, just observing a dumpster fire from afar, just like, ah, oh, that looks bad. Something like that, yeah. Well, yeah, no, well, I hope, I hope it all goes off okay. I think, I mean, I'd like to go. I enjoy GDC every year. It's obviously a very privileged event. I do really enjoy getting the chance to go, mostly just to see everyone on the West Coast that. You know, Europe's—we're so lucky, right? I can catch up with and catch up with you, super easy, Joe. But I can't. Um, West Coast is—it's
0: too hard. Yeah, yeah. We only have slush once a year, so it's good to have something else where everybody can meet. Really. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, let's get into the meat of the discussion. And let's go I wanted to hear your story about how you made <clears throat> your way into the games industry and to eventually found Netspeak.
1: It's a quick one because uh, it was an accident. <laughs> uh, as, as with all great things, Jared, it started off with a giant mistake. I So I didn't get to any universities in the UK, actually. I was always good in school, but I suck at exams. I don't know how people do it. I I, you know, I look at kids and teenagers going to school today and I'm like, you poor bastards, <laughs> how, do you, how do you put up with this? So I failed all of my exams, but I managed to get onto an open university course. The OU is like a thing in the UK. You can do like a degree from home over like three to six years or something. And I signed up to do one of those. I wanted to do English literature <laughs> because I, I was like, that's the one that has the least exams and I can do all of it from home. I can do all of like, they're just going to ask me to write things down, right? I have to do that at home. Then they're not going to test me on it. It's going to be coursework, but they, they screwed up. They sent me the wrong books and actually signed me up to a computer science course by mistake. Wow. And while they were correcting it, Because it took them a few months to figure it out and post me the new books and stuff like that. I'd actually read all of the books they'd sent me. And then I don't know what happened, man. Like Six weeks later, I was like, oh, software engineering is a thing. And I think I love it. Ah, (laughs) And and then, yeah, like a month later, I was on a scholarship to a degree in games programming. And then two years later, I had a degree. And then Sony sponsored my master's degree in games programming. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) So I just, I don't know what happened, man. Like my life took a massive corner and I just went, I just got like, I got very lucky. I got, went from like opportunity to opportunity to opportunity. I was really, really fortunate.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Then you had a few stints at working for bigger games companies before you founded Netspeak.
1: Yeah, I, I think originally when I first started my career, my goal was, because I was still sort of in shock about discovering software engineering, right? It never occurred to me that you could do this as a job. <laughs> so at the start of my career, I was just like, I just want to get good at this, right? Like it was, I, I didn't, I hadn't thought of, tech lead or team lead or or manager or anything like that, I hadn't really put any thought into it. And so for the first sort of like five years, I guess, I just sort of bumbled my way through different engineering jobs, just trying to absorb as much information as possible. And it wasn't until I joined a startup called Improbable that I sort of really realized that, you know, as much as I love software engineering, there's, there's, there were some other sort of key skills I'd built up that were really valuable as well in terms of, you know, leadership and management. And Improbable was a crazy place. It was wonderful. We, we were sort of just given all of the time and space to go and make loads of mistakes. And so I sort of run around on fire for about three years, (laughs) generally not knowing what I was doing, just figuring it out hiring people, making up job specs for jobs that already existed, but thinking I'd invented the job spec. (laughs) I was like, oh, I've I've invented this new job. And then someone else looked at it and they were like, Callum, that's called an account manager. That's like already a thing. (laughs) Um, But we were like allowed to run around and generally just try different things, right? And I think eventually it just became obvious to everyone around me, much before me, that I I was definitely someone who probably should go and start a games company of my own. And then one day someone just said it. They were like, Cal, when are you going to do your own games company? And I was like, I've not even actually thought of that as an option. That's a really good idea. And that was it. As soon as they'd said it and they planted the seed, I couldn't stop thinking about it.
0: (laughs) What was the kind of like those points that made that realization come up in the other people?
1: I don't know. Uh, I think in general, my attitude was always like, uh, I was one of the people that if you came to me with a problem, I was like, awesome, right, cool, let's go. What do we need to do? Like, that's what I tried to be at least, right? I, I like to think I was that person. You come to Callum with a problem and in general, if he needs to go and get on a plane and fly somewhere and go and solve that problem, he will just do that. That's just how, you know, I will just get it done, right? So I was a really good delegation target. Like if you had a really big issue, you just go to me and just give it to me in its entirety. I would always see it through. It was like a point of pride of, you know, being the guy that I never just like got the problem halfway solved or solved it enough and then sort of dropped it. I was always see it through to completion. And I think people just um, enjoyed having that in a very chaotic environment. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I ended up leading teams, not because... I particularly wanted to be a manager. I'm a pretty reluctant manager, to be honest, Joe. I don't, I don't really enjoy it because I take it very seriously. It's a very, emotional, <laughs> it's a very emotionally challenging thing to do properly, I think. I think everyone in my teams were always generally pretty happy with, 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 with um, my management style yeah. as well. And So that, sort of those two things combined, I think everyone was just basically patiently waiting for me to realize that this is what I was going to go do. <laughs> yeah. How did you know that the
0: thing you want to do is Netspeak? What was the kind of like story there?
1: So I think there were loads of options and I'm sort of a reasonably pragmatic guy when it comes to business, right? I've learned business on the fly. I've not sat down in an economics discussion or a business development forum. Do you know what I mean? I sort of learned it by doing. Um, And so in general, I was like, I'm going to go do my own thing, definitely. And there were loads of options for what it could be, right? Game Studio was just one of them. I'm fascinated by fintech, right? There's loads of space to disrupt in that industry. Med tech as well, right? I've got some friends that are doctors and I talk to them about their problems. And I think, oh, God, like this, you know, there's so many problems in the world that we could go and solve, right? But I think when I really got down into the details, it was a case of like, what, you know, th- this is something that we're going to be doing for a very long time. This is something that isn't always going to be fun. It's not always going to be solving fun, new and interesting problems, right? There's going to be, Grind in this, right? Because if it wasn't like that, everyone would do it, right? So I made the assumption that this is just going to be a really difficult thing to do, obviously, knowing nothing about it. But I think that's a fair assumption, right? <laughs> and so I was like, if it is going to be really hard, I want it to be something that I'm really, really passionate about. And as passionate as I am about technology, games are a big part of my identity. I think, you know, I'm covered in tattoos all from video games that I played as a kid, right? So it, it just sort of made sense that it was going to be a game studio. And then it was like, do we want to do new IP? Or do we wanna build some tech, just pure tech, like you know, there's tooling and there's infrastructure, there's backend stuff that we could do. I'm happy with all of those spaces. But the best part about being a game studio is I think at least at the start, we could end up pivoting into one of those businesses. But I think the golden, you know, the, the, the goal is definitely your own IP, I think for anyone that's creative. I think that's definitely like the mecca, right? That's where I wanna to get to. I don't mind if we start off building an MMO and uh, end up building Slack, right? I'm happy to be <laughs> the CEO of that business. That's, that sounds fine. But it just I think it just made it a good place to start, right? Because it's nice and versatile. I think it's much easier to figure out what you're doing in terms of a game as opposed to um, a pure technology platform, right? So you're more approaching kind of like the company building
0: in a sense that you're building something long-term. You want to be building that for making games, but it's still the company that matters.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's the, you know, the company is the people and the culture, right? And I think that's what I obsess over. That's like the thing that I keeps me awake at night, to be honest. <laughs> it's yeah. the thing I worry about the most, right? The product, don't get me wrong, like it, you know, I, I want it to be, you know, it has to be brilliant. It's going to be excellent. And whatever we end up building, I'm really confident it's going to be a game changer. But I think, I guess the one thing I learned from being as, you know, I've worked at Bloomberg, which is this giant, company like I was a very small cog in a very very efficient machine and I've also been at improbable where I think we pivoted like five times in the first 12 months right (laughs) so I've seen both ends of the spectrum and I think that like if I went in with the mindset of this is what we're doing this product this game then I think that's that's too small that's too small time I don't think I'd be doing justice to the people that came and worked for me can you introduce the
0: company and talk a bit about the the mission that you guys
1: are on (laughs) Yeah, sorry, I should
0: probably start with that <laughs> No, it's good. Look, we can jump around here. Yeah, sure. Um,
1: yeah, so so Next Week Games, we're obviously a brand new London-based startup. We're a, a massive group of tech heads. We, so um, our first game is almost certainly going to be an MMO, just because we love building infrastructure, we love back-end services. We've all come from big tech companies before. A few of us worked together at Improbable. But yeah, so NetSpeak Games, our, our, our pillars are diversity, collaboration, and inclusion. They're pillars of the product and the company. I've definitely seen in my time how a team and a culture affects product and how the product that you end up building ends up affecting the team and the culture, right? They seem to be in this very tight loop. And so I, I knew when I started NetSpeak that I wanted it to be a spear tip of this, of this wave of, of um, diverse and collaborative thinking that I've, I've just started to keep to see emerge in games. I really wanted to 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 for NetSpeak to be sort of driving force behind that focus. So yeah, we're nearly 50-50 men and women at the moment. Um, obviously we're only 12 people, so we haven't hired at scale yet, but that's something that we're we're definitely going to be sticking to. We don't necessarily believe in creative directors or sort of one vision holder for a product. We much prefer to invest you know, at the cost of spending a lot of time talking about things, we like to invest in everyone having an understanding of where we're going um, and everyone feeling listened to. So we're um, a super collaborative studio. Our plan is to stay small and lean uh, while we get our first product out and then go from there.
0: How are you guys like talked about the, the vision and the mission and the values for the company? Have you worked on defining them and like making sure that they show up in your
1: daily work. Sure, yeah, I think the the, the pillars definitely like the vision and the mission. I, I I've always said that we probably I I didn't want one for the first twelve months until the rest of the core team was here because it was only a few of us starting it out. Right, I know from experience that in the first ten hires we make, at least one or two of them are going to be really impactful, and I want them to feel like they help shape the company, and I don't want that their first thing to be is the first thing to do is to sit down and like rub out the old mission statement and be like this is rubbish we should do it again um but the pillars i think are certainly really important so diversity collaboration inclusion we put them in everything we do we use these design lenses where you know when whenever we're designing a new feature we throw these we've got they're like little pokemon cards um and they've got like diversity written on them and some bullet points about what that means and we throw them at each other and we say like have you thought about inclusion with this is this an inclusive mechanic is this an inclusive design it's in our meeting room guidelines like so when someone new joins the company and they start learning about what it is to be at Netspeak those three pillars keep getting chimed on again and again and again I think that's the only way to do it right like you just have to keep banging that drum (laughs) yeah yeah do you then like because now you
0: kind of like gotten into the mode of discussing the culture a lot and it's showing up do you hire people would a culture fit in mind or do you do you rather fit the culture to the people and make it more like an evolution
1: <laughs> it's it's interesting i think it, it obviously it depends on the person there's a few people there's one or two people i can think of straight away that we brought in and i just feel like this gravitational force and I, so i knew that like by bringing them in whatever our culture is it was definitely going to change but we we spent a long time interviewing those people right like numerous pop chats numerous times where they just come to the office with no fixed agenda and we just talk to each other like we knew that this was a big hire to make and we wanted to make sure it was right for both parties so that was much more of a cultural ad that was like oh this person is going to genuinely shape how all of us think on a daily basis and that was really good um but then cultural fit right it's uh, for the more for the more junior roles people that haven't necessarily figured out even who they are yet absolutely like we don't we don't really do technical interviews. I'm yet to find a good programming interview <laughs> that I actually believe in, that actually gives, you know, as a hiring manager, that gives me confidence that this is the person to hire. So we kind of just throw it out the door, really. We just, so all we test is, is creativity and collaboration. They're the two things that we're looking for. We're pretty vulnerable at the moment in that if we hired the wrong person now and they were actually a secret ego warrior, it would probably be really hard to wind back from the, from the impact that that person would have. So to be honest, it's one of my like <laughs> biggest obsessions at the moment is making sure that everyone that joins is a cultural ad. Yeah. yeah.
0: That brings to mind kind of like the thing that when you have people joining who are more junior, who are looking to learn, how do you make sure that because you guys are moving quickly and there's things changing, that people in the company aren't being left behind
1: Yeah, it's a great point, actually. We do regular teaching sessions, basically, where it's like, there's no fixed agenda in terms of, you know, like, it's not tied to what's going on in the sprint or anything like that, right? So like, for example, last week, I did one on how to build decks that raise money, not because I I want everyone to leave and go and start their own company, but because we've hired a bunch of ambitious people. And I know that that's something that they want to do. And so I I ran an hour and a half sort of like seminar on how I built my, my seed round deck and what thought process I went through while building it, how I got it validated, blah, blah, blah. So, we just, I think we're all just naturally very, uh, like, very good at teaching each other. And all, and once you've got people like that in a room, all you need is a little bit of process just sort of sprinkled on top just to make sure that we don't move so fast that we forget, right? So, you know, I, I think in particular, like, free to play expertise, our guy Mitchell talks us through that constantly. Mitchell, he's just like a constant, (laughs) not not in a bad way, (laughs) he's just constantly challenging everyone on their knowledge of free-to-play to to the point where we now give everyone some money every week (laughs) to play, to spend in free-to-play games. And that sort of stuff, right? I think if if you're hiring the right people in terms of there's no ego and we like to teach, then that doesn't become a problem.
0: No. Yeah, I remember like how how it was talking to Mitchell. Like he, he has so much, ideas (laughs) Ideas that you <laughs> ever have in. 24 hours,
1: seven days a week. You know? I did, I did a, I did a talk last week on our strengths and weaknesses as a team because I've handpicked everyone, right? So I've curated this sort of first 12 people. I wanted to highlight what I believe that we're going to be bad at and what I believe we're going to be really good at, so that we can sort of lean into them. And one of the things that we're bad at as a team is we're, because we're so creative and collaborative, and we, we just. We always want to investigate every idea. The downside of that is focus, right? Like it means that we're never going to really be able to truly zero in and laser in on a thing for very long. And what that means is that in our, in our planning phase, whenever we're planning a spin, we have to challenge each other to be like, we need this done, right? We have to justify that this needs to be the focus, right? It's not enough to just say this needs doing because... In two days' time, someone's going to have had a better idea, and <laughs> we're going to want to jump on that instead, right? So, just being aware of that as a weakness, I think, sort of, almost turns it into a bit of a strength because it's then like now the game is challenging people on how to focus. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's really good.
0: I think that that goes back in thinking about the people. Like you're challenging your staff to think and learn, and do you actually like talk uh, in one-on-ones about? career development like more transparency regarding salaries with people like creating kind of like a different kind of environment what's your thought thought on employee
1: nurturing yeah i think so one of the having been at a larger company i've seen what i would describe as like the bare minimum take on nurturing right like there is there is a career path it's written down over here somewhere on a wiki you can find it <laughs> and, yeah. and and like your job is you, you know if you would like to walk that path then you have to figure out what that means right and then at, when I worked at improbable I've, I've never worked somewhere that take, takes sort of employee growth so seriously I loved it I really 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 liked it and the way so the way we're doing it at NetSpeak is a combination of things. I think it's really important, like three month and six month probation are probably the most important sort of bookmarks for someone when they first start a company, right? Three months to make sure that they absolutely understand what they need to do to pass six months and six months to make, understand really well what they've done that was good and what they need to improve on. And so like little things that I've picked up on are writing down the, like a thing that they did and the date and then what someone else said about it is so impactful, right? Because it, it doesn't take much work from a manager's point of view, right? Whenever someone that works for you does something good, think, oh, I'll write that down. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, on Tuesday, Mitchell ran a good design shop. And one of the junior artists in it said that was really good. She's never had a designer explain process to her before. And now she's, now she's really keen and she wants to read about it. And then when you sit someone down in an, in an employee review and you say, hey, this is this specific thing that you did that was really cool. I don't know why, it just adds so much more meaning to it. Like, it just, it really impacts people. You can see it in them. They're like, oh my God, like, they actually took notice of what I achieved. Um, so from a process point of view, we put that in place. But in general, like, I take it really seriously. I, my, my attitudes, and, and maybe this is to my own detriment long-term, but my attitude has always been, you know, people are going to move on, right? I don't think mm. games really can do lifestyle, lifelong businesses anymore like in terms of for, for an employee right like for a business owner obviously it's, and a director it's obviously a different story right but yeah. i think on average they're going to move on they're going to go and get another job right and so i think that the bare minimum requirement for someone who works at netspeak for me personally is that we accelerated their career growth mm. um, and that they, they they are better off even if they were only here for 12 months even if they bounced in and bounced out and made a massive hurricane of it I really want to make sure that those 12 months they we we accelerated their career growth. And I think it's really easy to do, actually. I think for me at least, it's just honest and very frank conversations. It's it's giving people feedback that they probably haven't had before um, and framing it in a way that they don't feel attacked, right? But I think a lot of people that I've worked with, the feedback that I've given them has been on very much on how they are in the office as opposed to what they do or. Or, or, um, or how they do it, right? It, it, it's much more how they are as a person. It's like, you know, you're, you're very prickly in these meetings and that means that people find you intimidating, which means people aren't going to go to you with problems, which means you're not going to be the person that solves those problems, yeah. right? And, and in order to achieve your goal, you have to be the person that solves those problems. So, <laughs> you know, adjust the attitude a bit and you'll get there. And that's really hard to hear the first time. But when you get used to it, when you, when you get this culture of really open feedback, all of a sudden, you find people challenging you on it as well. People say, Cal, you were a bit grumpy in that meeting. And I actually really didn't want to sit and be creative and collaborative with you being a grumpy dickhead at the end. And I was like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, I totally didn't realize that I was doing that. Um, and you just all end up spiraling upwards as opposed to spiraling downwards together. right? Yeah, and if you do that, like, I think
0: this is like something that I've been constantly... You know, getting more and more aware that
1: consistency always beats mm. perfection, in a sense. Like, yeah, it's, it's the hardest thing to do right as well. And 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 it's whenever I'm rolling out a new process or something like that. I've I've rolled out so many amazing ideas that I've had where it's like, oh, this process will fix this problem, or oh, doing it this way will get us this. And within four weeks, I've had to move on to something else, and it's just not stuck. So one thing I've definitely learned at Netspeak is I'm not rolling anything out. I'm not rolling out any crazy plans about regular meetings or regular catch-ups or anything, right? Unless I, I'm really, really, really able to stick to sort of a, a good schedule and make it really consistent, right? Like if there's any chance in two months' time, I won't be able to carry on running these meetings. I, I, there's no point in doing it because inconsistency is much worse, right? Yeah, yeah that is
0: so true. Let's go into you here. Uh, how are you actually learning to become a CEO? Like it's your first time doing it.
1: What's your trick? <laughs> My trick? <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, assuming this all works and then we can look back on this and be like, "Ah, oh, that man was a genius. But also, I guess if it doesn't work, you can look back and you can see this as a list of things to not do. So I guess either way, it's valuable to talk about it, right? Yeah. Um so I've got like, I've tried a whole bunch of things, man. <laughs> I don't know if any of this is going to work. I've got like five post-it notes stuck up on my on my wall, like at home, in the kitchen and on my monitor, right? I'm looking at them right now. <laughs> um, so one says, hiring is easy, happiness is hard. So that was a guy, that was a, a, another CEO of his own law firm, told me that and I was moaning at him about the fact that you know, we're, we're 12 people and they're great, but we've had so much talent apply already. I could have built three other teams by now, fully functioning, you know, engineers with artists, with content creators, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, this, this, this phase sucks. Like I want to be in the aggressive growth phase. And he said, he just looked at me and he's just like, cow. He's like, for someone like you, hiring is always going to be easy. So you're never going to struggle to hire. You're in London. Like it's fine. Happiness is hard. He's like, you have to be obsessed with their happiness. And I don't know why that really hit me. I was just like, oh, you're totally right. It would be so easy to hire 60 really unhappy people and then not retain them for two years. (laughs) Um, So hiring is easy. Happiness is hard. That's one that's sort of stuck with me. Belonging, a definition of belonging from a philosopher that I've got written down. When I look back on the jobs where I've been at my best and the jobs where I think I've had the biggest impact on that business, it's ages reflecting on it right and just trying to figure out what was different about those places and I boiled it down to it felt like I belonged there that was the difference like when I left it wasn't just like it was emotionally challenging leaving that place not not necessarily because I was upset or sad right it, like I left when I left my job at Bloomberg I was very upset about it but I was super happy to be moving on but the thing is I felt like I belonged in that team at least for a while. And so I've got a definition of belonging, which I'm trying to give everyone, right? I want everyone at Next Week to feel like they belong when they're here. And it's a combination of like identity, it's like social, it's impact, it's responsibility. And so th- those are the things I want everyone to feel. Because I think that if we have a team of, we've got a team of 12 people and we all feel like we belong together, then there's there's nothing we can't overcome, right? And then the other one is think long term, <laughs> which yeah, yeah. is the, the hardest one, man. Like no one, Everyone says do it, right? But no one has any practical guidance on how. <laughs> like, what do you do? do, you, what, do I just, in the morning, do I just sit and think about the future? Like, what does that even mean? I'm a programmer, right? Like, I'm a finite state machine. <laughs> There's, think long term means nothing to me. But all I'm trying to do is, uh,
0: you know, Simon Sinek. Uh, yeah. He has the, the latest book, in Infinite Game. It's actually, that helps for long term I'm thinking so much.
1: If you have time, if you read, check it out. I will definitely read that one. So I've I've definitely read a few books lately, which have helped. Some which haven't, but I actually, to be honest, like the ones that haven't have been even more useful because I don't know, it's kind of like an exclusive strategy, right? It's like, I'm not that leader. I don't want to be that type of leader. Like Of, of all the types of leader I would like myself to be, knowing full well that I don't get to choose, right? But I'd like to discover what it is so I can lean into it, right? (laughs) Um, But like going through some of these books and it's just like, oh, I'm not that one. What's the horror ritual? Is it like zero to one or zero to hero or something? Yeah, yeah, zero to one. Zero to one, yeah. Reading zero to one, I was just like, that's cool. That's not me. I'm not, no, I'm not that guy. (laughs) And that's nice, right? Because it's just like, oh, good. Okay, well, that's that's one thing I know I'm not doing. Uh, But yeah, reading helps a lot. I think there was this one book called... um, Like, how like venture capital be smarter than their lawyer or something like that, right? It's the venture series of books. And that was probably the most impactful book I've ever read in terms of what I'm trying to do at the moment, right? I read that once. And so sort I of had to spend a day just on my own thinking about what had just happened. <laughs> um, and then read it again back, backwards, forwards. And it's, it's, it's really practical. It's, a very, it's very much a, like a, a, sort of a lawyer and accountant's guide to what a term sheet looks like and how to go through a term sheet properly. But they, they sprinkle in loads of like little anecdotes and little stories. And I think that's what I realise is that's how I learn, right? As I learn from others through stories. And so that's why I've got this sort of, big focus on advisors and i try and really invest in in sort of like those relationships right like keep keep keeping those people warm and making sure that if any if if at any point we can just go to the pub and sit down and they can just tell me some more stories because i think that's that's how i learn as a as a a person yeah oh and then the other the final post-it note joe which i think is worth talking about is um you'll you'll never lose a good employee faster than by tolerating a bad one (laughs) Um, I saw that that was like one of those like LinkedIn quotes right you know like as you're scrolling through the feed it just pops up um, and I was like oh yeah that's that's pretty succinct like I definitely definitely agree with that I've seen that happen time and time again so um, <clears throat> that's the final post-it note so basically at the moment I'm just trying to live life via those post-it notes <laughs> um, and then wherever possible catch up with people and um, you know just, just like swap war stories and stuff yeah, that helps. But then,
0: like looking at practical work, what does your calendar actually actually look like, and
1: what's <laughs> what is your process there? Your um, the calendar. Yeah, I think so. In general, my life is run by my calendar, right? Like it's it's it's, and I try and as much as possible keep it as the single source of truth. You know, to the point where it's like, if it's not in my calendar, it's probably not going to happen. And I've, I don't get, I've made mistakes like that, right? And it's, it, I've, I've, I've forgotten to put things in or other, or haven't explained this to other people and therefore things haven't happened, right? So it's not bulletproof, but I think over time it will be. Um, everyone already at, in, at NetSpeak understands that like, I'm driven by my calendar. If it's not in my calendar, I'm not going to be there. And that's quite nice from an operational point of view, right? It's simple. <laughs> it's like, I've got one thing to look at every day for like, what am I... What, you know, what am I doing? The downside is obviously, you know, really my my brain doesn't really work in fifteen minute slots, right? My my brain naturally I, I like to mold things over and tick things across and you spend a lot of time thinking about certain things, right? I'm normally re- relatively quick fire. I'm, I'm, I'm not an indecisive guy. I can definitely make decisions really quickly when needed. But I, I much prefer to have a day to sit and think about the options, right? Like um, sometimes not even thinking about it. You know, like your hind brain. I want to sit and play some games for a bit and let my subconscious mull it over. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere in my brain there's a very smart guy and it's, it's not me. I'm not in control of him, but like occasionally he comes up with good ideas. So yeah, I basically with, with Calendar, it's a case of like, it's a single source of truth. Let it rule your world. The nice thing is like, you know, I can give my wife access to it <laughs> so she knows where I am on a daily basis, which generally reduces her level of worry. Yeah, that helps for sure. You know, as founder and CEO, right? Like I more or less reside to the fact that time zone management is up to me. So if we've got calls of China, I'm the one that's in early. If we've got calls of San Francisco, I'm the one that stays late. And um, I think it's really important that everyone understands that that's not me trying to set a bad example. That's not me leading by example. If anything, that's me saying, this is really bad and I shouldn't have to do this. And as soon as we can, we won't. But, you know, like, you know, it's all very well saying that we want to have good, you know, work-life balance as part of the culture at Netspeak. But at the end of the day, we are a startup and we are trying to, you know, we've got a lot to prove before we can really lean into core hours of 10 till 6, blah, blah, blah. So I sort of try and shoulder that burden wherever I can, but I definitely try and not be a martyr about it, right? It's not, I don't want to, I don't message everyone when I'm in early to try and imply that they should be here early too. It's a case of, it's seen as a bad thing, right? Same as crunch, right? It's a case of like, it, it, it's a bad thing. We, we don't want to aim for that, right? If it does happen, then I will be the first and only person to do it, right? Yeah. I think we
0: covered pretty much everything from a CEO's perspective, like the day-to-day, but then then there's the fundraising part. Mm. Like, How did you learn that craft?
1: Yeah, I think learning it, I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking about this. So I, I was fortunate enough while doing business development as a job, I was fortunate enough to travel a lot and get to go to a lot of games conferences like Nordic and GDC. Not all of them; I only went to. A, you know, I only went to a few, but I went to enough. And while I was there, I was really, you know, I took it very seriously in terms of networking, right? And uh, and building out that network, and it just meant and there wasn't a goal to it at the start. I wasn't I wasn't networking with any specific purpose in mind, but I was just trying to bridge gaps. Into all aspects of the industry, and I, th- I guess it's probably because I'm just sort of obsessed with games, right? In terms of how they get made, how they get financed, what the business models are, how they're distributed, right? I love, I love, all, I love reading and and, and learning all about the, the full aspect of making games, including how they got financed. And so initially, I was really zeroing into publishers, and I just wanted to know like what a publisher meeting looks like. And so I started talking to people about it. And to be honest, it wasn't until probably about Last GDC, so about 12 months ago now, that someone sort of explains that, well, venture capital is, is, you can do early stage venture capital in games. And I was like, what? Like, I really thought that was for Silicon Valley tech companies, right? Like, I've seen, I've seen the Facebook film. Like, surely, like, like, <laughs> like, who, who, does, who does venture deals for a game? Like, it's so hit and miss. And then when you and you think about it, and you're like, oh well, no, everything is basically hit and miss in technology. Mm-hmm. So, and basically, I, I I I was fortunate enough to know someone who was married to a venture capitalist <laughs> who doesn't do games investments. They do medical tech and fintech and a bunch of other industries, right? But it was a huge fund. It's like a 250 million dollar fund, and this guy was a VC there, and so we just went for lunch sat down and I asked him about like, look, if I was going to go do this, what would the questions you asked be? And it basically just snowballed from there. Like that guy then introduced me to some of his limited partners. So they were the people that invest in the funds um, so that I could understand their sensibilities. Like why would, if I was a very wealthy man, how would I pick a fund to invest in? Can I use that information to leverage, you know, it, it, by understanding that part of the process, do I, that? does that give me some leverage trying to get money out of the funds? Almost certainly yes is the answer, by the way. But yeah, it was just a case of leveraging my network and talking to people was the only... I, I, you know, I, I read loads of books on it as well, Joe. And like I said, there was only one that was worth its weight in gold and it was that Venture Deals one. That was very operationally... That was like after you've got the term sheet. <laughs> that was the perfect book. It was, I, I've I've not read anything online or in a book about raising money specifically for a game studio that actually was useful. <laughs> um, not in the last 12 months. Other than, obviously, your podcast <laughs> and a bunch of the... There's probably some newer stuff, right? Like, I was trying to think, like LVP have a good blog or someone that works at LVP has a good blog about it. And like some of that stuff is really honest. The problem is, I think, people that have raised the money already... Are probably very busy <laughs> trying to do the <laughs> next thing. If they're not busy, it's because they've exited, and therefore they raised money ages ago, and therefore it's not relevant anymore, right? Like I think VC, you know, the venture capital industry seems to change quite a lot. Um, if you, you know, even if you look back ten years, I don't think it was as big or as prolific in games as it is now. I don't know how you feel about that, Joe. Yeah, I think the the biggest change has been that we're talking more about the product
0: market fit when you have retention numbers, <laughs> and, that. and what usually happens with games is. Like If the product market fit is there, the scaling can happen super fast compared to what it used to be like. Because now you have user acquisition, which is basically unlimited if you just have the right numbers. (laughs) So the VC works
1: really well with this model of gaming, for sure. Right, so you yeah. think it was just like the business model change in games sort of made it that we're now more applicable to a VC's route, right? Exactly,
0: because sure. you can scale with that money, and previously it was kind of, you know, can you actually do that? Not really.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, but yeah, so,
0: there's a lot of nuances there.
1: Yeah, it's it's so it's so nuanced, right? And I don't think anyone could ever cover it all because my experience so far, you know, we've only been through it the once but I talked to other people that have been through it two or three times and they've never had this experience, right? So it's just a case of, well, <laughs> like there's no definitive guide on it. But for me, it was just people, right? I think people in games are generally super friendly and happy to share and collaborative, right? Like, yeah. My rule of thumb is I don't really ask for intros. I don't necessarily want to be that guy that puts someone... You know, if they don't believe in me, I don't want them to have to say, "Ah, oh, actually, Cal, I don't want to make that intro because it might make me look bad. So I don't, I don't ever really ask them, but yeah, you know, we will go for coffee, and I will ask for advice. And um, if you know, and in, in, in general, I try and come across as, as smart, and I try and get my plan across. And in general, people were only too happy to make introductions for me, even if it wasn't to the person I wanted an intro to. It was to someone in that sphere. Right? It's not a big. There's, there's not many people in that <laughs> sort of like sphere of influence. Right? Um, you only need one way in, I think.
0: Mm. Do you think about like when you're Approaching an investor, do you prefer the people who really know gaming? Do you avoid the VC that doesn't know gaming? What's your take there?
1: I actually like both extremes. I, I like the people that really, really know games and can talk to me. Like I can show them a PNL for a free-to-play MMO, and they're just like, "Oh, that infrastructure is a bit costly." Do you know what I mean? Like someone that yeah. has like loads of insight, like that's awesome. I love that, right? I, and you know, definitely. So I, I always find in those situations there's definitely something I can teach them about tech and there's definitely that something they can teach me about one other line on that P&L, right? Oh, there's this service that just started up here that does that even cheaper or, oh, there's a tool here for the analytics that you're going to need that you haven't put into your price model. So I always really enjoy that. But at the other end, you know, the big sort of blue chip American, more, more you know, more traditionally American VCs where they're just, you know, they see 600 pitches a week across 20 different industries and they all worked at you know, Deloitte or whatever, right? I really like those guys as well because it's funny enough, like in every job I've ever had, I've always ended up being like in a support slash educatory role, right? I, I always end up being the person that people come to to explain things, some to do with communication skills or to be honest, just willingness, like patience maybe. I'm a pretty patient person. So when someone's struggling to understand something, other engineers would be like, oh, well, you're just never going to get it, but I'll happily sit down and explain it from another angle, right? So with, with VCs that know nothing about games, I think we always end up having a really, really interesting conversation around how it applies to other industries. You know, software compared to architecture, um, you know, actual architecture, video games compared to other entertainment products. You know, we're always, we're all just competing for free time. And that's all they're doing is, someone has free time, spend it over here, please. Other methodologies, you know, like how kids cartoons and adverts and those sorts of things. Right. And I I find those conversations incredibly useful because games as an industry is such an echo chamber, right? (laughs) It's so like, it's so hard to break out of it. Right. It's just like, this is how we've done it. This is how we will do it. This is how it always will be. Right. We're so like full of tradition and dogma. Right. (laughs) So talking to people outside of the industry, really useful. And often I think they then learn something about games from me and, those conversations generally appear to go quite well,
0: I think. Yeah, yeah I think the, the possibility that a company, which is now Slack, used to be a gaming company. Exactly. I think it's, in a sense, in Europe, I think we're a bit like, behind in the mentality of actually like shifting when we need to shift or doing some changes or acting differently when it needs to happen
1: yeah i think i'm trying to now think about what that is actually that that is interesting i've definitely seen that it seems to be it's um i wonder if it's something to do with like not trying to upset the status quo because the maybe the job market is fundamentally different like maybe people can just leave and go somewhere else a bit quicker like i don't know if in if in silicon valley if it's so competitive you finally got this job at a place and that within six months you find out they're building something else you're just like well hey i'm on for the ride right like (laughs) i guess i'm here now whereas in europe if it's a case of well i want to make games and well now we're making a chat program well i'm just going to leave to go and make a game studio right to to go and work at a game studio right maybe the job markets are different for sure yeah yeah it's a different environment right but I, i you know i i think um also it's about expectations right like i think i've trying to do my best at NetSpeak with regards to setting expectations of look, yeah, we're here, product one is an MMO, that's what we're working on. But God knows, man, like we might we might come across however many different types of problems that we could solve that mm. we think actually there's a there's a there's a there's a much better plan for a business in here. Right. And I'd never do it in a way that pivoted us out of needing everybody. That's that's my you know that's the one requirement, right? Like it would still be something that needs a free-to-play product manager and some artist, right? So in general, it's going to be a game. But if we do discover a different game on the way, I'm more than happy to take that risk. I think I think it's expectations, right? As long as the team are okay with that. Yeah. Expectation management is one of the post-its you
0: should probably...
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, almost certainly. I'm going to write that one down now, Jay. <laughs> yeah,
0: hey, let's go to some hot seat questions. Awesome. sure. Short and sweet. Are you ready? Yeah. So your best performer ever is also the most toxic person ever (laughs) you've met. What
1: do you do? (laughs) Um, uh, Put him in the bin, I think. (laughs) Put him in the bin and then have a massive review of our hiring process. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Good. Uh, Involved in game design. So CEOs are often, you know, The designers in the early stage shaping the game by how they see fit like i think early on it's good if you're using your strengths to to help a small team but like how should change like how would you change things as the team grows
1: i actually went to a really good talk by a data analytics guy at space ape recently and he said with regards to data analytics, it's like their involvement at the early stage of the project is less, right? And data analytics, importance and priority grows as the project grows, right? So at the start, you're going with your gut and you're a bunch of developers and you're, you're trying to feel it out and you, you, you've got to make decisions, right? And then eventually you get some data in and then you start looking at the data, but you're still basically trusting your instinct as a developer. And then over time, eventually you end up at candy crush and like you're making all of your decisions automatically based on a pipeline. I think CEOs are a lot like that, <laughs> right? Yeah. But in reverse, right? I think at the start, to be honest, I am I'm more obsessed with this problem space than anyone, right? Because it's, it's my, yeah, and that's why I'm the CEO, right? This is, this is my, I, I always talk about shower thoughts, right? It's like, what are you thinking about when you're in the shower, right? For me, it's Netspeak Games and it's product number one. Um, other people are probably thinking about other things and that's okay. I'm, I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> They're totally allowed to do that. But I'm obsessed with this. And so, hell yeah, I'm going to be really involved in as much as I can at the at the early stage. Just to smooth the runway, right, I've been thinking about every edge case they've come up with, I almost guarantee you I've come up with it already and then have tried to figure out a way around it. I'm not saying it's the right way, but I've at least thought about it. And then over time, I think just tapering off, right, like I think that's the art of delegation is bringing people in over time. I think, um, you know, my biggest... Not concerned. the the thing that the thing that I worry about the most is the culture of that team and is 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 um, instilling this idea of collaboration above process. Right? Like, I, uh, I my worry would be that I if if I left too early, it would be so easy for a bunch of seasoned game developers to just slip back into having someone that's basically the creative director and then just doing what that person says. Right? Like, so I think once I'm happy. That, that is true, and that we're always going to be as collaborative as possible. Then I think well, I'll, I'll, I'll begin my step away.
0: So, on focus, how do you deal with distractions like? getting pulled into details, into different things in the company?
1: It's a hard one, particularly for me and particularly for the culture we're trying to sort of curate. And it's like, I want people to feel like they can just come to me with with whatever it is, right? Um, a little design problem or a technical question or a clarification on terms. I want to be approachable by the team. Obviously, there's a limit there, right? And I And I do quite regularly say things like right look that's it from me you don't need anything else from me you've got the tools you need to solve this problem now go solve it right i'm now going to go back to my desk and I, yeah, I'm, I'm not a master at this Joe. like i still haven't got it waxed right i still definitely find myself working late because i ended up in a design discussion that i didn't need to be in. <laughs> um but i think it's just important like if you're if you're reflecting every day on on what you could have done better and mm. You know, focusing on achieving things rather than just being busy. I think if you're if you're not focused, you're going to feel really busy all day, but you're not going to have an achievement. You're not going to have a sense of achievement. So every day, I'm like, did I do I feel like I did a thing? <laughs> and if I didn't, but I did feel really busy, well then I've I've obviously just been dragged into the details, and I need to do better.
0: That was actually like in the last year when I've been building this elite game developers. It's been like there's so many things I could do. So in reflection moments, I'm basically what I'm writing down is. How do I cut down on things? So mostly it's the things that I can say no to now. Nice. A list of things to
1: say no to is a good idea, I think.
0: It helps. Hey, what have been your worst 24 hours (laughs) in the games industry?
1: (laughs) It's a really hard one. I, I mean, I remember obviously not naming any names or naming any places of work, right? I remember working, I think probably about 90 hours in one week it was, it was it was definitely like monday through sunday 10 to 12 hour a day each <laughs> i remember that and I remember, and and this sunday driving home i was driving home at like 3am on a sunday and uh, i nearly crashed my car because i fell asleep and it was a long drive and i remember i remember getting home and knowing that i had to get up at 7am to drive back to work having had 3 or 4 hours sleep right that was that was pretty bad that was that was um that
0: was demoralizing, I think. Yeah, um, I guess those crunch stories are always
1: the worst. Always the classic, right? I, I, find, I find it's kind of unimaginative at this point, right? It's just like, oh, who knew, right? Working really hard is bad for you, um, <laughs> right? Like, I wish I could come up with something slightly more nuanced. But that is it, really, I think. And mostly the games industry has just been really good to me. I've been really fortunate, <laughs> um, other than making me work long hours.
0: Yeah. What's your approach
1: to talking about runway to the team? A pretty open one, to be honest, man. I've got a spreadsheet with our runway on it (laughs) that that everyone has access to. I've obfuscated a little bit of data. We haven't gone as far as to have everyone knows what their salaries are. Although I promise, to be honest, I just assume they all know anyway. But, you know, so our monthly burn rate is written down. What we have in the bank is written down. Um, There's a graph with an arrow going down and to the right and a big red X where it crosses the line and that's in about 18 months time. So we've got about 18 months runway. Um, and they know that and they see what we're spending every month. And when that spend increases, they will see that spend increase. To be honest, it's, it's raised some already brilliant conversations and questions, right? People, you know, like, uh, one of our back-end guys is now, I think, just obsessed with cost in terms of like egress and uh, logs and analytics and stuff like that, right? And uh, I, I, he comes from a background of working at places like Microsoft, where that just is not a problem. And so he would just, you know, if you, want, if you if he had a big query, he would just run the big query, right? But now he's obsessed with it. And if, if anything, he's probably gone too far and I don't need to dial it back in and be a bit like, look, man, we've got to spend some money <laughs> yeah. in order to make this game. Um, but it's already, you know, for me, that's already valuable, right? And, and, and shaping how people think about things. Like, I don't know how it will work at scale, Joe, to be honest. I'd, I'd, I'd like to be this transparent for forever. Okay. I, I appreciate just... that as we grow, that might have to change. But for now, yeah. at least, um, I'm as transparent as we can be. Yeah. I guess the biggest struggle
0: is when you kind of like have a plan to grow your staff by you know double digits pretty quickly then it's hard to kind of like see you know where the line crosses the other line and things like that and make make sense
1: for people like what we're doing here. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think like also for example when we we're, we're going to build out our marketing and publishing functions in a, in, you know, in a couple of months, that's definitely going to be an area that we start hiring into. And when we start bringing on a, a user acquisition specialist or an insights generator, you know, when we start bringing on these big names and people see a change in monthly burn, at that point, I think they'll be raising eyebrows. But I like that. I like forcing that conversation on on myself, right? I like having to justify those sorts of decisions, right? Because maybe one day I'll bring on a marketing exec and they'll see the monthly burn rate increase and they'll be like, "Why?" And I'll be like, "I don't know, actually." <laughs> I think. Uh, uh today <laughs> um it's, it at least keeps me honest right i think um and and it means that we don't leave people behind with their understanding of what it is we're doing right yeah it goes back to the expectation management exactly
0: hey let's go some final questions you talked about a few books already but i always want to ask about the one favorite book
1: one favorite book. So, just on a personal level, it's got to be the Dune series, right? And actually, this is this is kind of funny. I'm writing a talk at the moment called "What Dune Taught Me About Management." <laughs> um, I'm writing a talk on it because Dune. Have you heard of Dune, Joe? You know, you know, sci-fi book. Yes, very well obviously <laughs> you never know right it's it used to be pretty niche i think it's mainstream now annoyingly um but it's there's just a it, movie it, coming out. i think right yeah 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 of course and it's got a good cast and a good director so i'm hoping fingers crossed joe um no what june taught me about management like it's uh it's funny because as an example in june the book there's a <laughs> there's a there's a, a power paul has and uh, he it's called the voice and he can just say it and everyone has to do what he says, right? He's got this like all controlling voice he can throw. Um, But he only uses it once in the first book, right? And that's to like save his mother's life. So in general, you know, as a CEO, you have the voice, I think. I think it's like you have to respect your own office. Like if you're the CEO and you say something, that's going to get done, right? People, it's going to happen. You need to respect that. Um, So that's just as as an example, right? So, But yeah, June is definitely one of my favorite books. Yeah, It's like you know, your superpower. It is, right? It's, yeah, and I think a lot of people don't respect the fact that they get given this superpower when they start their own business yeah. and therefore just don't take it very seriously or like they don't, they don't at least reflect on its impact, right? I think it's really important to know that like the CEO saying something in a room is very different to just Callum, just, you know, the guy that that you used to work with saying something in a room. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's like, maybe not to your co-founders or your friends that you're working with, right? But certainly to the new junior artist, right? (laughs) The CEO saying a thing is a big deal. And so you have to respect that office and and use those tools wisely.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like your
1: presence
0: already is, you know, it's so different. And yeah, that's meaning, yeah. Hey, uh, do you have a story that has shaped you in how you
1: approach your work? To go back to the the, like how I got into the games industry, right? It it was a lucky occurrence. I sort of tripped and you know fell into the industry, and it just sort of I I, I got a scholarship for a degree from from a a creative uh, charity, which was which was one I wouldn't have been able to go to university without it. Um, I got a scholarship for my master's degree, which I definitely would not have been able to afford to do. And those two sort of like early investments in me as a person have just paid off massively, right? Like I think, yeah. um, and now it's kind of a, I think I, I definitely see Netspeak as a route of sort of giving back as much, and, as much as I can and wherever I can. And so, you know, I will always take chances on people. I will always hire diversely. I'm going to try and build the most inclusive atmosphere possible because I am the best example for return on investment right? You know, teaching people new skills, you know, investing in people is one of the best things you can do as an industry and as a business. And so that's all I'm going to do. Yeah, that's a really good one.
0: So we've come to the end of the discussion. <laughs> I, I have one more. What's mm. the best way to get in touch with you if people want to have a chat or something?
1: Oh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm always happy to chat, you know, look at thinking of raising money, if it's your first seed round, if you're a new CEO, or if you just want to hear more about Netspeed Games and just call them at netspeedgames.com just drop me an email cool thanks a lot Callie. awesome, awesome. thanks Jay talk to you soon bye bye
0: thanks again Callie, for coming on the show please remember to follow or subscribe to our show so that you'll get notified when next week's episode is available also we have a weekly newsletter going out with links to our latest articles You can subscribe to that at EliteGameDevelopers.com. See you next time. Bye-bye.